Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. But the six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it gonna, like that's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. It's Tuesday, April 19th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. In less than two weeks, Richard Bernard Moore is set to be executed in South Carolina. The method he chose is firing squad. If this goes through, he will be the fourth prisoner in the country to die that way since 1976. Because of a law passed last year, it made the electric chair the default method of execution if lethal injection drugs could not be obtained. Moore chose the firing squad because he opposes the electric chair, but still said that his two choices were unconstitutional. He is scheduled to be shot in the heart by three riflemen on April 29th. Andrea Salcedo, reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for more. Next, California may have reached a turning point when it comes to crime and homelessness. One of the bluest states in the country, California has voted for policies aimed at reshaping criminal justice. But polls are showing a growing dissatisfaction with the direction that the state is going and has fueled recall efforts of progressive district attorneys in L.A. and San Francisco. Crystal Hayes, national correspondent at USA Today, joins us for how crime data tells a complicated story despite all the headlines and crimes that people have witnessed. It's News Without the Noise. Let's dive in. He has taken this to the Supreme Court on two separate occasions, and they have been rejected. So now it's a matter of his lawyers trying to block his execution that is scheduled to happen on April 29th. Joining us now is Andrea Salcido, reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Andrea. Thank you for having me again. Well, there's an interesting story in South Carolina. It's a story about the death penalty. So Richard Bernard Moore, he spent over 20 years on death row there in South Carolina. He's scheduled to be executed in less than two weeks. 
Now, the thing that's different about this is that, you know, when we've been doing a lot of these lethal injection ones, we also have the electrocution chair and the firing squad. In this case, because of some weird shenanigans going on, he elected to have the firing squad execute him. So, Andrea, there's a lot kind of going into all this. So help us walk through why is the firing squad going to be used at this time? To explain why he's going to be executed or is scheduled to be executed by a firing squad and not a lethal injection or the electrocution chair, we have to go back to last year when South Carolina lawmakers were debating this law, which basically meant that if made and made choose between either the electrocution chair or the firing squad if they could not find lethal injections for the Department of Corrections. And that law was passed and signed by the governor in May of last year. And it's because of that that although it sounds like he had three options, he only had two because as of now, South Carolina still cannot get lethal injections, or at least that's what the Department of Corrections has said in a filing to the Supreme Court. Yeah, so that law made the electric chair the default. So, you know, if they couldn't get the drugs, but he had the choice, right? So he, when he made his filing, he said, well, I think the electrocution chair is unconstitutional. He said, I'd rather have the firing squad, but don't take this as my you know, approval. I still think it's all bad. So his lawyers, I guess, want the state Supreme Court to delay it so that they can do that. I mean, they, they would like for this to go to the Supreme Court of the United States to see if the firing squad or the electric chair is uh, uncruel punishment so that they can get the whole thing thrown out. Yeah, that's right. In court records filed Friday, pretty much Moore said that he disagrees with even having to make this decision, and he called all three methods presented to him as unconstitutional. He said, I do not believe or concede that either the firing squad or electrocution is legal or constitutional, and I do not believe the Department of Correction should be allowed to certify that a statutorily prescribed methods such as a lethal injection is unavailable without demonstrating a good faith effort to make it available. He added, however, I more strongly oppose death by electrocution. And because the department says I must choose between the firing squad or electrocution, I will elect the firing squad. So he does not agree with any of the three, but he doesn't want to be electrocuted. So he he went with the, the firing squad. So South Carolina is one of 27 states that still have the death penalty, that it's legal in those states. And going back to last year when they were debating this in South Carolina, you know, on the political front of things, I guess, so there was a Republican sponsor of the bill who wanted to go. They actually had at least one Democrat that voted with them. He said, in the absence of these drugs, we got to go this way. But, you know, the firing squad is still more humane a punishment than the electric chair. Yeah, that's part of the arguments that they were using. They even used the argument. Some lawmakers said that families are waiting, victims are waiting, the state is waiting. So families of the people who were killed by some of these inmates could not get closure because there was pretty much a standstill of death row inmates. No one has been executed since 2011. So that was kind of like their main arguments. And they said it is more humane to end life this way than to just keep them waiting as well. And it passed by a vast majority and the governor signed it into law in in May. 
This would make him, if this goes through, the fourth prisoner in the U.S. to die by the firing squad since 1976. It would be the first in South Carolina to go by firing squad. Uh, I mean, that'll be interesting if we get that far. And when we talk about the drugs, so the three drugs that uh, they use for this is pentobarbital, I might not say this name right, pancorium bromide, and potassium chloride. And basically, in the order that they go, it puts them to sleep, it brings on paralysis, and it stops the heart. And I know when uh, a lot of the discussion of the death penalty was heating up and using these lethal injection drugs, there was a few botched ones, you know, people kind of writhing in pain. You can see it. And the drug makers, the companies that make them, started saying, you know what, these drugs are made for medical purposes, not for this. And this is part of why it's been so hard for states to get these drugs. They don't want to sell them, so they are used in this method. That's correct. The Department of Corrections in South Carolina has said that they have done diligent efforts, but despite this, they have been unable to obtain or acquire the necessary drugs for execution by lethal injection, and they cite various things. They said that they have contacted manufacturer, manufacturers and all of which have refused to sell their drugs to the department. They also said that they reach out to several pharmacies regarding mixing the drugs, for the department, and those efforts were also unsuccessful. And they even tried to purchase the bulk components for the drugs to have them mix themselves, but that also wasn't possible. So that's what the corrections, uh, that the head of the corrections uh, department in South Carolina is arguing we made all these efforts, we just can't get it. So at this point, it's either electric share or the firing squad. The other interesting thing is that South Carolina just completed a $53,600 renovation of that death chamber. So it has the electric chair in the middle. It has this firing squad chair in um, off to the side. And the way it would go down is they'll be put in the, the chair, obviously. The people with the rifles, there would be three of them. They'll be sitting mm-hmm. 15 feet away. There's a, a marking on his chest. They're going to train the guns onto his heart. And that's the way they go. After, you know, they'll have a doctor come in and check everything out and make sure he is dead and certify it that way. But there's also people that object to him even being put up for the death penalty as far as the crime goes. He he killed a, a store clerk, which led him to getting prosecuted for this. That is right. He killed a store clerk in 1999 while he was, a try, he was trying to assault this convenience store according to court records, and that pretty much got him sentenced to a death penalty. He's taken his court to the Supreme Court a couple of times at least, and it has been rejected. Uh, I think, I believe, at first he said that he didn't get a chance to present his final statement, and the judge said that's not an excuse for you to be let go of the death penalty, let's say, and then he has taken it to the Supreme Court on two separate occasions, and they have been rejected. So now it's a matter of his lawyers trying to block his execution that is scheduled to happen on April 29th, and his attorneys are still trying to block the execution at this point. Yeah, supporters of Richard Bernard Moore say that he shouldn't necessarily qualify for this because of the way it happened. When he did try to fight with the store clerk there, the store clerk pulled the gun away from him. The store clerk pulled out another gun, and then, you know, there was a a gunfight at that point. So they say his intent was not to kill somebody because he didn't go in armed. But a complicated thing we'll see. A lot of times these things get delayed at the very last second. So we'll keep monitoring to see... 
what happens. Andrea Salcedo, reporter at The Washington Post, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me again and have a great day. We will look for less restrictive manners, but the presumption will be that you're going to get release because we know uh, that people do better when they're released and then they come back for the day in court. And these are people that are not a threat to our community. Joining us now is Crystal Hayes, national correspondent at USA Today. Thanks for joining us, Crystal. Of course. Thank you for having me. Well, California seems to be at a turning point over crime and homelessness right now. We've been seeing a lot of stories of what's going on. I mean, there was a lot of theft, smash and grab type thefts, uh, thefts that were really hitting the news nationally over the summer, this past summer, where, you know, just the people were very bold and bold and going into stores, grabbing a bunch of stuff, running out and very little, it seemed like, was being done to stop them. Homelessness has obviously been a problem for a long time. But, you know, especially in like L.A. and San Francisco, there's been a huge pushback against prosecutors up there. There's recall efforts. Everybody's kind of all over the place. So, Crystal, help us walk through some of this and, and put a little perspective to it. Yeah, no, definitely. It's been an interesting time to kind of watch what's happening in the state. Uh, you know, like, as we all know, you know, when you think of California, you, you know, you usually think of Hollywood palm trees, but it's politics. California likes to call itself a trendsetter for the rest of the country when it comes to a lot of its progressive policies. And so, you know, like in this moment, ever since the pandemic happened, it seems like more and more voters are really kind of seeing the change in their communities. And the perception there is that this kind of just like drastic rise in crime, like what you just outlined, a lot of those headlines that a lot of voters were seeing. And then along with that homelessness kind of grow into communities that really hadn't seen it in the past. And it's weird because when you look at the data, it's really all over the place. Um, homicides in the state or at a high since uh, 2007. But, you know, when you look at other crimes, such as like burglary or larceny, it's actually like at historic lows. <laughs> when you're kind of looking at these headlines about these smash and grab robberies and kind of these perceptions that voters are having, because, I mean, if you've watched any of those viral videos, you know, you see somebody coming into stores such as like Ulta or Walgreens and just coming in and nonchalantly just filling up bags of merchandise and just waltzing out of a store. It's, it, that's the thing. It's like a lot of voters here are feeling this sense of frustration and, you know, polls, more and more of them are really showing that voters are itching for a change. They're looking for, you know, a little bit harsher penalties when it comes to crime. And it's an interesting moment because California has done so much to kind of shift on those things. Yeah, definitely frustration is probably one of the key things there. You know, obviously there are people that are scared and worried about that stuff too. But, you know, when mm -hmm. you see all this stuff on TV so much, right, that frustration, it's like, wow, why can't we do something to get these people in check? Why are they afraid to be arrested or something? And, and, you know, a lot of people point to, as you mentioned at the end right now, policies that we've enacted here in California. A lot of people place mm -hmm. the blame on Proposition 47. That's a big one. And I know a lot of people throughout the country have heard that being brought up in, in conversations. And that has to do with penalties for certain property crimes. So this is one that they point to when people are doing all those smash and grab things. You know, it has a limit where... Uh, I guess uh, $950. So below that, you're really not going to get prosecuted, really not going to get much more than a slap on the wrist, it seems. So a lot of people point mm -hmm. to that specifically saying like, look, this policy is an act. That's why these criminals are being emboldened. 
when you look at that, it's interesting because this has been something that, you know, this $950 threshold, when you look at other states, they have a similar threshold, but yet you don't see, you know, these people just waltzing into stores and seeing what we're seeing in California. And so it's, and it's interesting, too, because over the years, you know, there's been efforts to kind of change Proposition 47 or, you know, get rid of it. And it's weird because voters, even though they're seeing these sorts of things, it's like they weren't ready for shifting away from the policies that they've they voted for. But right now it's like we're seeing all these polls. And I mean, gosh, Newsom's approval rating is on the decline. An L.A. Times poll, it was just jarring recently. I think it was uh, last month. Voters were just expressing how dissatisfied they were with the state of the city. Some had lost faith entirely in elected leaders. And largely it has to do with what we're talking about, you know, with like this perception that nothing's being done on crime, on homelessness. Well, you know, the state has earmuffed a ton of money to help combat homelessness and supply more housing. But yet, you know, you're still seeing it in your backyard, in your community. And the same with the goes, goes with uh, crime. I mean, right now, the district attorneys in L.A. and San Francisco are definitely uh, <laughs> feeling the brunt of this. Right. Uh, there's recall efforts targeting them, but it's almost like a lot of finger pointing. And that's what you kind of hear when you talk to people here. It's like they want somebody to blame. They want to know why this is happening and they just want it to stop. <laughs> yeah, No, it's true. But, you know, a lot of it is perception. Right. And when you're talking about mm-hmm. those district attorneys, there's been a lot of cases where they say, well, we're not going to pursue these charges or we're going to pursue lesser charges, things like that. And so you'll see those things and you're like, wow, that guy is a criminal. He might have physically hurt somebody, but we're going to go easy on him. And that's the kind of thing that elicits that emotion in a lot of people. And they're angry about it. And, And to the point, right, they're both facing recall efforts. It seems the San Francisco District Attorney Chesa Boudin might be recalled the for the L.A. District Attorney. It's a little unclear still, but there's a lot of enthusiasm behind those recall efforts. Yeah, I know you're absolutely right. I mean, in L.A. here, more and more people keep coming out for this recall effort, even the former police chief who had endorsed him previously. And we're seeing one of the leading mayoral candidate here come out and support this recall effort, kind of blaming. It's sort of like blaming the D.A. for what's happening. And, you know, when you kind of look at those things, it's really hard for a district attorney to really fully change, (laughs) like, you know, crime. It's really hard for them to have such a huge kind of role in the the shift in a city in such a short period of time. But to voters, they want to see something change and they're seeing these negative impacts and they're seeing these negative headlines. And it's like they need they need something. They need to shift. And you're right about a lot of those policies and stuff. And it's weird because when you when you talk to the district attorneys, they'll point out that they're not getting as many cases, that police aren't charging these people a lot of the time. And a lot of these things, sometimes they're a little hard to actually charge. Uh, They need like, you know, they need a lot of proof for some of these cases. And, you know, it's not just those smash and grab robberies. It's not just, you know, those people waltzing into Walgreens and stealing things. We're seeing, you know, in, in L.A. here, we had people looting train carts. And it was like the Wild Wild West. <laughs> people, you know, just kind of like right. opening up like carts and just uh, stealing them. And we had, you know, I, I think it was a few days in January where multiple women, I think it was two or three women in a row were um, killed by transients. And, it, it, you know, those sorts of headlines and you see them, it's just like people see them and they get scared and they're like, yeah. why is this happening? You know, how do we stop it? Yeah, another headline just very recently, too. So the sheriff's department says, you know, there's like 17 gangs in L.A. that are, uh, you know, they're targeting people for these follow home robberies. Well, you know, they'll identify you. Oh, they're wearing a fancy watch, something. And they kind of set their people, follow them, rob them, you know, when you get a chance. And so, you know, the, the things like that obviously spark a lot of fear. But, you know, when 
we're talking about these policies too. Californians voted for these things. They they voted for, to enact these things, so they might be having a little bit of buyer's remorse with that, right? Yeah. So what happens yeah. now, right? We recall these district attorneys. The next time you know a proposition can come on the ballot, maybe they'll they'll look a little closer and think about some of the after effects. But it does seem like there is that shift. Just kind of anecdotally, people you talk to, and again in the media, the coverage. It seems like people are just completely fed up with it. And, and, and who knows what happens after, right? We're in, that, <laughs> we're in that moment now with, you know, what do we do next? Yep, no, you're exactly right. And I, I think it's important to also point out that, you know, when we're talking about changing these policies, a lot of reasons why they were enacted, you know, if you look back to California's history, you know, it, it was overcrowded prisons. Um, and a lot of the shifts to the criminal justice system were because of that, just inhumane policies, inhumane conditions in these prisons over the years. And, you know, a lot of the shifts have been really helpful for minorities who are a lot of times unfairly targeted for things like this and who, you know, and so, you know, if we roll back these policies is like the ripple effects on that end too. It's so hard to predict what what it could mean when you're voting for something, right? And sometimes we have these ripple effects that we don't always, you know, we don't always think about. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's a lot of adjustment that needs to go on. I mean, one of the clearest examples was the chatter about defund the police and that kind of grew in mm-hmm. a little popularity, but everybody started walking it right back once they started seeing all this stuff play out. So we'll see. We'll monitor all of this. You know, there, as we mentioned, some recall efforts mm-hmm. going on and then just the overall sentiment about this that voters aren't just not happy. Crystal Hayes, yep. national correspondent at USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment. Give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.